Second Peter chapter three. Every time I hear the news, I I get I get hopeful and frustrated. How many of you have mixed emotions about our world right now? I just go, wow. Uh, it's just, I love life, and I like doing the ceremony last Friday. Was it Friday night? Good night. I can't, I can't keep up with days and time. It's, it's a wonder I'm here. <laughs> but I just, I just, I watched a beautiful couple, if you don't mind me saying, that, that boy we raised since he was born. And a gorgeous young lady, beautiful young lady who's been here. How many years you guys been here? Seven or eight years. So we've raised her too. They're mine. They belong to me. I mean beautiful people. Christians who say we're going to put Christ the center of our life. I challenge them to be a biblical example. And I was just so proud and honored to be a part of that kind of thing. A lot of people don't get married with Christ involved anymore. I, I find myself being uh, more proud than I've ever been, ladies and gentlemen, because the world's disdaining what we do in Christianity. And whether you know it or not, we're being pushed out of society. Um, and Jesus said that in the last days they would persecute us just like they persecuted him. So I saw somebody the other day and some prophetic guy on the, on the internet just a little bit. And he, I, I don't want to take away because I didn't listen to a couple of minutes of it. He said, what'd you expect in the last days? <laughs> and I go, well, that's a pretty good line. What do you expect it was going to happen? Ladies and gentlemen, let's be of good courage. Our Lord is coming back. I want you to follow me in reading with Second Peter chapter 3. And let's look at verse 1. Beloved, how many of you want to be in that crowd? Oh, I'm glad I can say I'm part of that crowd. This is Peter writing, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken, listen, before the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that, what's the next word? Scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. We have been in, in, instructed, ladies and gentlemen, to put our trust in God and lean not to our own understanding. Aren't you glad we're Holy Spirit enlightened? Aren't you glad we're Holy Spirit enlightened? Wow. Scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own flesh. Verse 4, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? It would sound in sarcasm like, where's the promise of his coming? You talk about it. You talk about it. Listen to the attitude. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, watch this word. It, words are important, folk. For this they willingly forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Listen, God kept his word. 
But the heavens, verse 7, and the earth, which now exist, it's been promised, are kept in store by the same word, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Let me explain that to you. The first time God brought judgment because of man's sin on this earth was the flood. The second time is going to be, this time it will be renovated by fire. That's why the rainbow, God said, I will never flood it again. God keeps his promises. But verse 8, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Let me explain that a minute. That means that God has a time schedule, and it's not going to match what humans think. God will do what he pleases, how he pleases, when he pleases, the way he pleases, when he pleases. <laughs> how many of you are willing to turn all that over to the Lord? The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Let's say that together. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. I believe the reason the Lord is still not returned in that sense is because he's wanting the lost to be saved, but he also wants us to enjoy life. Watch this phrase, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. A day may be as a thousand, a thousand as a day, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Listen, God never comes unannounced, but he will come in a surprise. He's told us and told us and told us. As a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, meaning all that, here's why all that is here for. Everything I just said, since all these things will be dissolved, Look at a powerful question. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? If we've ever lived a righteous life, it's more important that we live it today than perhaps any other day. I want to note that scoffers will come. Scoffers will come in the last days. As a pastor, I have been at present at a lot of births. And it's a great time. I have officiated many funerals and memorials. I have officiated weddings. I have dedicated as a great honor many, many dozens and hundreds of babies. I have many times in 44 years of ministry seen the cycle of life. I've been here long enough to, to see many of you raised to adults and then have children and now have grandchildren. Where did all that time go? And I, I look great for the journey. Well, that's what you say. <laughs> I see the cycle of life. And let me say on numerous occasions by believers and unbelievers, but especially unbelievers, I, I, they have asked, Preacher, do you really believe in life after death? And some scoff, was Jesus really divine? Do you really believe God actually exists? Do you actually believe this archaic book called the Bible? Do you actually believe Jesus 
was resurrected. Do you really believe he's going to come again? And my answer is this. It is a living, alive, authentic, resurrected Christ now seated at the right hand of God is my guarantee that everything this book prophesies is absolute truth. And this book may be aged, but I'm going to tell you, it's more up to date than tomorrow's newspaper headline. The scoffer will say, it is one-way traffic. We just travel here. The atheist will say, no one comes back. And the new ager will say, we may go through many times. You know what? There's such a lack of responsibility there. Have you ever noticed nobody wants to be responsible for anything today? And nobody wants to respond. Well, I, I, you know, I, I killed my wife because my mom wouldn't let me push my oatmeal off the plate when I was in a high chair. We use excuses for everything. Nobody wants to be responsible for anything. And even today, the new ager wants no responsibility. Well, somebody did it. Somebody did this. Somebody, we are not responsible for anything. And so we just want to say, well, I, I realize deep inside the soul and spirit. I know that there's another life. I know that when I get here, so they have this idea. They love reincarnation because if I blow it this time, then I can get it maybe next time. Maybe the next time. Maybe the next time. I just want to remind you of something. The human being was the crowning and masterpiece of God's creation. You'll know more now than you'll ever know as a frog or a gnat or a monkey or, or an alligator or whatever you become. If you don't get at this time, I don't give you much chance if you think there's another time. Isn't that ridiculous? I just want to say, but generation 2021, God has and has spoken the final word. It is appointed. It is appointed. Life, death, judgment, and eternity, and in that order. Life, death, judgment, and eternity. That's the order. The pivotal question is, will Christ really return to the earth? Will he really return? The doubter and the scoffer puts his finger on a question that really does matter. He asks, where is the promise of his coming? I'm glad to say that question not only can be, but has been answered. Number one, I want to answer it for us. Number one, it is answered in the Old Testament. This is not something new, this Lord returning to this earth. It was recorded and it was pledged as early as the first coming was recorded and pledged. So follow me. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. 39 books. These are divided into, first of all, the five books of Moses called the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Then there are 12 books historical books from Joshua to Esther. Then in the Old Testament, six books of poetry from Job to Lamentations. And then there are 16 books of what's called major and minor prophets from Isaiah to Malachi. And in every one of these five groups of the Old Testament divisions, every one of them talk of it. And it starts as early as Genesis 3:15, because here's what the word says. Spirit spoken to the serpent. He said to the serpent, Your, you shall bruise his heel. 
The serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of Eve. That was the Christ. The serpent will bruise the heel of Christ. That refers, ladies and gentlemen, Genesis chapter 3 to the first advent, the first coming fulfilled at Calvary. Satan bruised the heel of the Christ. It refers to the first coming and he shall, he, the Christ, shall bruise your head, Satan, or your serpent. That refers to the second advent, our Lord's final overthrow of Satan when he comes back the second time. Take time to read Psalm 22, 23, and 24. And if you do, you'll find this. Psalm 22 talks about, describes Christ's death. Psalm 23 talks about Christ's ministry to us now. Psalm 24 awaits fulfillment. Read the preachers, ladies and gentlemen, from Isaiah to Malachi. They all speak of things to come and have the prophesied Messiah's second coming. I want to show you something. You say, well, pastor, why are you doing this? Because scoffers are coming. Scoffers are coming, and they are here. And I want our teens, and I want our young people, and I want our grandparents, and I want us to teach the next generation. Ladies and gentlemen, from cover to cover, the return of Christ is in this book. So let's look at Isaiah 61 and, and 1 and 2. It was prophesied. This is 700 years prior to the Christ. 700 years prior to the Christ. And then we're going to come to the New Testament in Luke, who was the doctor who wrote the details at a time when Jesus spoke the very prophecy or he read the very prophecy that Isaiah had read. So I'm going to look at, at, at these words. Isaiah said in, in chapter 61, verse 1, Watch this. It's repetitive, but don't miss it. Isaiah prophesied, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all that mourn. Those same words, Christ, when he entered the temple, fulfilled that prophecy. But I want you to catch a difference. Here's what he said. Luke recorded what Christ said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach to the poor. Same line. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. Same line. And recover the sight of the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, same line, and to preach the acceptable Lord year of the Lord. And then he stopped. He closed the book. Why did he close the book? Why did Christ not finish the prophecy of Isaiah, though 700 years later? The answer, ladies and gentlemen, is simple. I hope we have it highlighted. Yes, we do. He had not come for that purpose on the first coming, not today the day of vengeance of God at his first coming, but that must await until his second coming. So if God keeps his promise, Christ has to return the second time. And even in fulfilling that prophecy, Christ knew exactly what he was promising. 
absolutely believer or non-believer. His second coming is an Old Testament truth that you cannot cut out or erase from its pages. As a matter of fact, look through the 39 books and you'll find him walking on every page. It's in the Old Testament. Secondly, I answer, where is the promise of his coming? In this, it's in the four gospels. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly, and you can take notes. Listen, if you need the notes, I'll see that you get them if you want to tell somebody else. God himself promised the second coming of his own son repeatedly in the four gospels. Jesus said it. He is recorded directly and accurately by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There is no possibility, ladies and gentlemen, of his being misunderstood. Follow me quickly. Matthew 16, 27, Matthew heard Jesus say these words, for the son of man will come in the glory of his father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. That was Matthew. Mark records Christ saying these words, then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and great glory. Luke records the promise like this, chapter 2, 25. And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth. Listen to this. Distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts, verse 26, men's hearts failing them from fear of the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. 27, then they shall see the Son of Man come in a cloud with power and great glory. John places the promise in unforgettable words that fell from the lips of the Savior. Look in chapter 14, verse 2 and 3. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, how many of you want, want him talking to you? I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. All four Gospels... Ladies and gentlemen, these are either the words of a madman or they're the words of the living Son of God who will fulfill them every jot and tittle. Their fulfillment, or listen to this, their fulfillment or their default make every other promise and every other doctrine and every other religion either absolutely valid or totally invalid. There is not another prophet anywhere that was ever resurrected after being dead. Now, I know some men, but I'm going to tell you in the New Testament, uh, what was his name? He called Lazarus. Wasn't a prophet. But ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, only the Christ is coming back in the promise the second time. I believe the scoffer has a right to pinpoint this promise because it is the keystone in our faith, ladies and gentlemen. And if we were in the faith, the truth is we should be longing for it. There's a third reason that we can answer where is the promise of his coming. It's in the Acts of the Apostles. The early church absolutely believed that Jesus would return a second time. They were present. Let me just say, the, 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 
the disciples heard major things. Listen, do you have any idea? Have you ever stopped to think of what it was like to travel with the king of kings for three years? Can you imagine walking by the Son of Man and watch miracle after miracle, teaching truth, and watching how he totally affected the life? Ladies and gentlemen, to watch the Christ heal blinded eyes, to bring a, a, a child back from the dead, don't tell me that's an everyday thing you would just pass off. The Acts of the Apostles, they knew him, they walked with him. But I want to say something. Perhaps some of the most important testimonies ever given were by angels. They were all through. They were present at the birth of Christ. They were present at the resurrection of Christ. They were present at the ascension of Christ. And those angels declared, Acts 1 and 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you up in heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. This same Jesus is going to come again. Those words are in every Bible that's ever been printed. Mr. Scoffer, I say to you today, his promise is not obscure. It has been plainly set forth absolutely. Amen. Praise the Lord. Number four, the answer to where is the promise of his coming. It's in the epistles of Paul, James, Peter, John, and Jude. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 4 and 5, Imagine nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light, this is what I'm looking forward to, the hidden things of darkness. How many of you know there are lots of ugly things being done in darkness today? Christian, hear it again. Judge nothing before the time that means you and I are going to trust God with what he's doing. But when I see murder happening in America and our sewers running red with the blood of our unborn children, I can't hardly stand it. Amen. Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts, that's of men, and then each one's praise will come from God. I want to tell you something. What we invest in the kingdom, God doesn't forget. But he doesn't forget investing in Satan either. Paul made it clear. Look at James 5 and 7. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 8 says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Peter, 1 Peter 5 and 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. How many of you are looking forward to that? John agrees, 1 John 2, 28, and now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And Jude, the little postage stamp writer, 
the brother of Jesus, verse 14, he made this statement. Go back and read it. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, and he's talking about all the false teachers, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. And verse 15 says, he will come and execute judgment on the false teachers. He's coming again. He's coming again. Generation 2021, where is the promise of his coming? I answer, it is everywhere in the Bible. How could it be a figment or a fancy when it has been a matter of record for centuries? Deny it, try to throw it away, try to say it's archaic, say it's not relevant, but when you're dead and gone, no matter where you're going to spend eternity, this book is still going to be true and it's never going to pass away. It has outlived every generation heretofore. In our arrogance, man takes a lot of pride. But ladies and gentlemen, God's going to have the last word. I want to give you a fifth answer. Where is the promise of his coming? Fifthly, it's in the Revelation. From the first chapter of Revelation to the uh, last chapter of Revelation. There, let me stop and say, there is absolutely no sense whatsoever in the book of Revelation if you rule out Christ's literal and physical return to planet Earth. I know it's written in, in Oriental symmetry. I understand the Oriental picture that John uses. But listen, if you rule out that physical return of Christ, the book of Revelation has no meaning. The entire message of the book of Revelation, I believe, is summed up in chapter 1, verse 7. It says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, and all, they also who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. I want to tell you, you can reject this Christ, you cannot believe in his return, and you can say that all you want. But the mouth that rejects him and the one that does not receive him will see him when he returns, and they'll come under his judgment. I didn't write this book, don't get upset at me. But I want to tell you, I think I have to warn you. I want nobody that hears me. I do not want to have the blood of your eternity on my hands. I want to tell you that Revelation talks about it. Number six, a sixth reason, where is the promise of his coming? It's in the Lord's Supper. Every time we receive communion, we affirm this one major promise. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Finish it till he comes. Wow. I thought we were happy people. I thought we were people. Till he comes every time. There it is again. There it is again. The promise that's woven like a golden cord all through the scripture. I believe the biggest proof of the second coming of Christ is the fact that he came the first time. What a promise. What a promise. Lastly, 
I was afraid if I told you seven reasons, you wouldn't hear the first six. The last one is this, seventh one. Where's the promise of his coming? In the heart of the believer. How many of you have it? How many of you have it? How many of you have it? I will testify. I am conscious of the witness. I believe Jesus is coming. I understand today is as a thousand years and a thousand years day. I leave the time up to God. I'm not going to be impatient and childish, but I want to declare I am conscious of the fact and I'm not ashamed. I believe Jesus is coming. I see the news reports and I hear my Bible say, Jesus is coming. I hear and see the calamity of society, and I hear the Spirit of God speak to me, Jesus is coming. I see the satanic blindness upon the masses and millions and billions across this planet, and I hear the word say, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Sodom, so shall it be in the last day. I see all the offers of sin on a society by which we have been sin cursed. I see young people, teenagers, giving their concepts over because the, the blackness of the minds, the satanic oppression God has put on this earth. And I see them struggle in darkness. And the Spirit says, tell them he is coming. Tell them he is coming. Tell them. Ladies and gentlemen, generation 2021, this promise is in my heart. And I want to share something with you. I didn't put it there. When I came to the Lord and said, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, not only did he cleanse me, not only has he washed me, and made me, the Holy Spirit put that promise in my heart. The Holy High Spirit of absolute eternal truth put it there, and I could no more remove it than anything. Pastor, do you ever have times of doubt? I do. I don't think we're human without times of doubt. I remember being a teenager. How many of you know it's tough being a teenager? It's really tough. That's why we ought to show these young people more love. It's tough being a teenager. I remember. I went through about three or four weeks when I was 14 years old. I had given my heart to God when I was five. I, I, I loved the Lord. I knew Him. I wanted to live for Him. But I want to tell you, no one is immune from an attack of the enemy. And the enemy attacked me, and he put this in my mind. He said, you've done this wrong. And he said, you're doomed. 
That's the last sin. You can't forget receive forgiveness. I, I can't tell you. I, I went home with the pastor's son that afternoon and we went to play baseball at the park and I, the, there were all those guys there. And I, I can't, I can't throw, I can't catch, I can't, I, I, my whole mind, I've never been so enshrouded with such a, a, a dark, dark lie. You are doomed. I, give me a little room, I'm a young man. I'm, I'm trying to struggle here, but I, I can't tell you how real that was. And I, I was thinking, well, what's life about? There's no use in living this life. And I, I, I went through a dark time of depression. But on Easter Sunday morning, I went to my old church and we sang, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Ladies and gentlemen, the resurrection undid everything for the enemy. Jesus is the only one that's ever conquered death or ever will. I just might tell you this, the day you die, death dies with you, and that's the last thing Satan can ever touch you with. From then on, ladies and gentlemen, it's heaven. <laughs> Amen. I want to say to this with compassion, we're on a moving planet. Nothing stands still. This world is a present world of fulfillment. Whether you want to recognize it or not, this book is absolutely today being fulfilled. And we are marching toward the coming of the Christ. He's coming. My response to the scoffer is this. Today's the day. Now is the time. This is your opportunity to know the Lord. I want to pray for the unbeliever. Father whether in this sanctuary or online. If there is one, ten, or ten thousand, let your spirit woo them today. Because they know, Lord, down deep in your heart, in their hearts, your word comes, Lord, and it brings light, God, and it has power. I send this word forth today to dispel all the scoffing. Lord, no matter what's popular and how cool we need to be and how much in the in crowd we felt pressured and how much, Lord, we live in a veneer. Down deep in our hearts, God, we know the Spirit of God longs for us. May we say today, forgive us. May we come to the fountain and be cleansed and washed and covered. May we accept the sacrifice of Christ, know and believe He's the Son of God and confess Him with our mouth. Believe it in our heart. For Lord, we're in a late day, and I ask you, God, that everyone that prayed that prayer with me, Father, believe it and say thank you in Jesus' name. I say today's the day, but I want to so want to say, even so come, even so come. I'm ending when I say this. Why do I say even so come? Please understand that the next major event on planet Earth 
is the coming of the Christ in what's called the rapture. The catching away of the church, it's not the second coming that I preached about. Let me say this and I'll be through. The next major issue is Christ will come in the clouds, not to earth. He will declare the bridegroom is here. We, will be, we who are believers will be changed in the moment the twinkling of an eye. Paul talked about it to the Corinthians. That which is corruptible, the body that's corrupted in a grave, or that which is cremated, it shall put on, the corrupted shall put on incorruption. We which are mortal shall be covered in immortality. And then we're both going to leave this planet and be caught up together with all of our loved ones with him in the clouds forever. When that happens, that starts a seven-year period of what is called the tribulation period. That is divided into three and a half years and three and a half years. When the church is taken, the Antichrist is going to take this planet and he's going to mark you. If you think that the computers aren't ready, if you think all this stuff we're going through right now is just happenstance, I'm telling you that all this information and Big Brother and all these chips and all the credit cards we use and they're going to want to go to bitcoins and, and all that. Those Let me tell you, that's all the pre-runs of an Antichrist that's coming. And you won't buy or you won't sell unless you take his mark. But if you take his mark, you will be doomed. Let's know the book. Let's know the book. For three and a half years, Israel's going to buy all that. He's going to build a new temple and he's going to set it up. See, the Israel, the Jews, they don't believe Christ is Messiah. But in three and a half years, when that Antichrist says, I am actually Messiah, I am God, and Daniel called it the abomination of desolation, he's going to set an image of himself up on the porch or on the worship tabernacle in Jerusalem itself, and Israel's going to know this is not the Christ. They're going to flee, I believe, to Petra. Read about it in Matthew. Read about it in the New Testament. They're going to flee to Petra. That last three and a half years, all hell is literally going to break loose on this planet. The elements are going to give way. 200-pound hailstones are coming. Don't believe it? Read it. You know, it's pretty cheap to say, oh, this book isn't anything. How much do you really know about it? Mr. Scoffer, it's easy to say that, but why don't you find out for yourself? Why don't you go to the trouble to be responsible to know the truth or to just say something because your friend did or because somebody else? I will tell you this. We make our own decisions. And then at the end of that, then we which have been caught up with Christ for seven years. In the glory world, we're going to have be rewarded. We're going to have our crowns. And we're going to eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we're going to come out of heaven with the Christ. This is where he's riding a white steed. And that's where we're on a white steed. And in his, on his vesture is King of kings and Lord of lords. Out of his mouth, his power of his authority will go a two-edged sword and he will have the battle of Armageddon. You want to know when Armageddon happens? That's when it happens. His foot's going to touch Mount Olivet. The Armageddon's going to split wide open. The worlds of the armies of Gog and Magog from the north, the armies from China and the east and the south and the west, all are going to... That's where the battle of Armageddon and Christ is going to have the reward. And then we're going to set up an earthly kingdom. And you and I, with those crowns, we're going to rule this whole world. I want to tell you, sometime when I was a kid, I was a little bit ornery. You, I know you can't believe that. That's really tough. 
When I was a young pastor, I didn't know better. I wanted to build a new church, and I went to the banker, and I said, I want to borrow some money. He said, well, you got to have this and have that. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, told him and gave him the plan and all that. And he said, well, how much money do you want to borrow? And I said that. And he said, boy, Pastor, I may have a little trouble doing that. And with the loan officer, and I said, I want to talk to the president and owner of the bank. He said, you do? And I said, yeah. <laughs> so I get, now you have to understand this is a small town. I've been there, I've been there five and a half years, and I bought 16 acres of land. The church did, and we're going to build a new church, and I wanted to borrow the money. Big step of faith. And so I got to meet the owner, and I got to meet the president, and uh, I went into the big office, you know, where they have that real nice leather furniture and all that. And he said, what can we do for you? And I said, I'm here to tell you that I want you to loan me the money to build a church. And I said, I might as well tell you up front that if you don't loan me the money to build this church, when I come back and rule this city, I'm not going to do you any favors either. <laughs> and he said, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And so I told him, and he laughed and he said, that's the craziest thing I ever heard in my life. We'll take it into consideration. A few days I got the notice that they would loan us the money. And there was a note on the end of the, of the letter. It was funny. Christ is gonna to return to earth. I wanna say this and I'm through. That's the world that I want here. That's the world that I want here. A world where Jesus reigns upon this earth and he's coming to do so. He's my personal choice. How about you?